This episode is brought to you by Shopify. Forget the frustration of picking commerce platforms when you switch your business to Shopify, the global commerce platform that supercharges your selling wherever you sell. With Shopify, you'll harness the same intuitive features, trusted apps, and powerful analytics used by the world's leading brands. Sign up today for your $1 per month trial period at shopify.com slash tech, all lowercase. That's shopify.com slash tech. From high atop Fox News headquarters in New York City, always seeking solutions, never sowing division. It's Brian Kilmeade. Welcome to the latest moments of the Brian Kilmeade Show. Admiral James Javidis is standing by, and we have Jackie Heinrich at the bottom of the hour bring us inside what's happening in Washington and what is not happening in Washington and what's not happening for the people of Ohio. And uh, balloons were shooting out of the sky that belong to hobby clubs. Uh, let's get to the big three before I get to the Admiral. Now with the stories you need to know, it's Brian's Big Three. Number three. We don't yet know exactly what these three objects were, but nothing nothing right now suggests they were related to China's spy balloon program or that they were surveillance vehicles from other any other country. Ugh. Joe finally speaks, but he won't answer questions about the contents of his remarks on the balloon mania shows a, a clueless detachment because it's taken so long to speak to the country, leaving other people out there just to speculate. Well, it turns out we have rid our skies of hobby balloons from 12-year-olds. What a relief. Number two. The White House says your trip here is a political stunt and that their border plan is working. What's your response? You know what? If they would actually come here, they'd realize their border plan is not working. Finally, Henry Cuellar gets some Democratic company at the border, and leader Hakeem Jeffries heads to Laredo uh, one day after Speaker McCarthy, as you just heard, uh, vows action and cites the president, president's ignorance as he talks from Arizona. Are Dems getting, getting serious about the broken border or just pretending? Number one. Buttigieg didn't step up. He didn't even issue any... Uh, even a tweet and for the first 10 days after this happened. Look, if, if you can't step up, it's time to step down. Ohio Attorney General uh, speaking out about Pete Buttigieg, his transportation secretary. It's about to explode. The Ohio town of East Palestine is losing patience with the speed of response and the lack of federal help after the toxic spill, courtesy of Norfolk Southern train derailment. Is the water safe? Is the air safe? Are the streams clean? No one can say for sure, and a no-show transportation secretary only, almost uh, always makes it worse if you don't show. Admiral, you know all about leadership. You wrote books about leadership from uh, great leaders from the past and present. You have to go, and you have to show people you care, even if you don't have an expertise in the area. Don't you agree? I do, and I think that applies um, across the political spectrum and across um, all kinds of different instances. But, yeah, think about President Bush after 9-11 standing on rubble piles um, in in New York City. Um, think about uh, Dwight Eisenhower on the front lines uh, getting ready to launch the D-Day invasion. Uh, think about any leader in a moment of crisis. The first thing you want to do is you want to go and put eyes on the target. And I agree with the assessment that um, all of our officials ought to be thinking consciously about how they can 
physically be forward, last thought here, because that's also reassuring to people. And, and again, think back to 9-11 and think about how we felt as a country, and, and we were scared. But we saw our president step up and go to the uh, the, the absolute ground zero and, and talk to us from there. I think that matters. Right. Uh, and you know what? President Bush would also tell you his, one of his biggest regrets was flying over Katrina instead of yeah. getting out of the plane. And he said that the look of me looking out the window uh, was something he tried desperately still to, you know, to undo. Yeah. And, and it, as you know, there are rational reasons sometimes where the supreme head of an organization uh, is proscribed from getting right on the ground. And it could be a Katrina-like scenario where you're going to take resources away sure. from the recovery efforts. Or when I was Supreme Allied Commander in NATO, uh, people didn't expect me to go to the most distant outpost and pick up a gun. Uh, but you try to get as far forward as you can. Today I'm speaking in Washington at the retirement ceremony of a superb uh, Army lieutenant colonel who's retiring, Brian Kitching. And he ran one of our combat posts very far forward as a young captain. Um, I went up to see him in those days. This was about a decade ago in Afghanistan. I couldn't go further than that, but I felt being there and being with his troops and presenting them with medals and being forward right. really mattered. And, and now I'm proud to go and speak at his retirement ceremony later today. And my last statement on this is they always tell you, too, when you come up in sports, get out of the studio, go to the locker room, go to the field. It doesn't matter if you're going to get that sound on tape, to see the guys interact or the women interact, to watch the way the coach responds on the field, to see uh, how everyone responds to the coach leadership, to see the body language. There's something about being there. So, you know, you have the, and and I'll just pick up one other thread of that, which is the media who often get, you know, banged around by many of us, um, but when I go to Afghanistan or Syria or the Balkans or Libya or today in Ukraine, you know, a, a lot of us in the military, they're in our, you know, flak jackets and combat gear and we're surrounded and protected. But standing right next to us is some reporter who is wearing a badly fitted, maybe bulletproof vest, got a helmet on, hopefully, and they got a cell phone. But they're there because they can see what's actually happening. I applaud that kind of courage out of our media when they go forward. So it's been about one year since the Ukraine uh, was invaded by Russia. I just laugh when people say uh, we should just call a peace treaty. I, guys, you paying attention? Uh, you, one guy invaded the other and you want to talk peace. And that it's, it just makes no sense. It's just such short-term shallow thinking in my view. It's not even intellectual thinking. Uh, it's no, not even a point of view. It's laziness to say that. It is. And we have got to understand how the actions of Putin invading that country will reverberate around the world if we let him get away from it. And so um, think about Asia. What is President Xi thinking as he watches Ukraine and he watches this invasion? If the West allows this, the next thing will be an attack on Taiwan. Or look at Iran and its aspirations to control much of the Arab world and gain control of all that oil and gas. If we normalize that kind of behavior, we will pay the price 
in the future and uh, simply go back and look at the history of the world geopolitically yep. in the years before World War II. So here is uh, with Jackie, and we, we know that uh, it looks like, and I might be mispronouncing this, but Bakhmut, uh, it looks like yeah. uh, Putin, it's important for Putin to take that by the anniversary date. I asked Jack Keene that an hour ago, cut 35. Why the Ukrainians are staying in the fight? Because the Russians are taking such significant casualties. This begins to set up the Ukrainians for a successful counteroffensive that they're planning to do in the early spring. The rain's going to come late March, April likely we'll see them moving forward in the May-June time frame. What they're also waiting for, the, the condition of the weather is a factor, but they would have started earlier if they had received the advanced weapons that they had requested. They, hopefully those weapons get there as soon as possible because they want to integrate them into their offensive, and it'll be an important and decisive part of their offensive. Let, let alone the Patriot missiles, which I imagine the training is progressing because yesterday they were besieged by infrastructure bombing. Uh, I yep. think it's uh, uh, I, I thought they were coming from the Caspian Sea. Your thoughts? Um, as always, General Jack is spot on. And uh, the key is going to be getting that heavy armor into the Ukrainians quickly, getting them trained on it. And, and of course, that training, just like the Patriot battery training that you mentioned, that training is already being conducted, and it's being conducted in Germany by the U.S. and by other NATO allies. So we've got to marry up the equipment and trained Ukrainians. If we put that together, I think uh, Jack's timeline is about right, which is late March, early April. Um, that would give the Ukrainians the ability, Brian, to drive from where they are in the south-central part of that line, drive to the Black Sea. And that would crack the supply lines for the Russians. It would undo their ability to resupply Crimea, which they regard as a crown jewel, be highly demoralizing. And above all, it would divide those forces and allow the Ukrainians to flank the Russians, both to the north and south. Potentially big casino. A lot is coming together in a, in a hopefully a very strong Ukrainian spring offensive. Can they do that without the F-16s that they want? That's the million-dollar question, in my view. Um, I think anyone, any Army officer like Jack Keane or Dave Petraeus or any of the others would tell you tanks are great, armored personnel carriers are great, but, boy, if you don't have control of the sky, you've got a challenge. So I, for one, and you know this, have been talking for a year about getting the Ukrainians more fighter aircraft that can do that air-to-ground mission, MiG-29s from Poland, F-16s. I think we've been too incremental here. We're going to be training F-16 pilots right now. Those jets are available. They're in huge numbers. I think that could be a significant part of the spring offensive. Uh, and uh, lastly, with China, do you think we should have a pull aside in Munich? If so, what do you think should be so said to them? There should be a pull aside, and, and what we ought to be saying to China is, look, this uh, balloon mania, you called it in your run-up, and I agree with that, it is, is not good for either country. It puts us in a position where we could have a provocative incident, uh, something could spiral out of control. We are not flying balloons over China. Don't you think about flying balloons over the sovereign airspace of the United States. That 
is what the poll side ought to be. And by the way, Secretary of State Tony Blinken is there. Hopefully he'll meet with his counterpart, Yang Lee, and they will have that conversation. Uh, Admiral, thanks so much for the time. I know you have a busy day. Appreciate it. Thanks, Brian. I'll pass your regards to my lieutenant colonel who's retiring. I know how strongly you support our military. Uh, Absolutely. Everyone appreciates that. Oh, thank you for saying that. I always do. And it's going to be a big day. Uh, Meanwhile, we'll always pick up the – thanks so much, uh, Admiral. Uh, Meanwhile, pick up the Admiral's latest book, The Sailor's Bookshelf, 50 Books to Know the Sea, and 2034, a novel of the next World War, which sadly might go into the nonfiction side of your on your bookstore. It's fiction right now, but it's it's a war against China. When we come back, I'll take your calls, one 408 7669 A lot to discuss, including 2024, some of the brawling that's going on against Nikki Haley on The View and on CNN. I think it only helps her. Brian Kilmeade Show, don't move. Giving you everything you need to know. You're with Brian Kilmeade. This is Jimmy Fallon, inviting you to join me for Fox Across America, where we'll discuss every single one of the Democrats' dumb ideas. Just kidding. It's only a three-hour show. Listen live at noon Eastern or get the podcast at foxacrossamerica.com. Out of the gates and ready to go. Hey, it's Hutton Withrow. Hot Mike is here on the Outkick Network. We've got your afternoon covered with the latest sports discussion, and it's available wherever you find your audio. Daily analysis and news. He is hot. I am Mike. Actually, my (laughs) name is Chad. His name is Jonathan. But you get the picture. We're going to bring it every single day. Whatever you want to call us, we'll respond to. We just want you to respond to what we're dishing out every day. And while you're here, we hope you subscribe to the podcast, like, subscribe, and share. He's so busy, he'll make your head spin. It's Brian Kilmeade. He was very underestimated. He's accomplished more than any modern president. Is that fair to say? In two years? Yes. Yeah. You'd have to go back to to LBJ. In uh, terms of his ability to perform, did you see his State of the Union? Like, who's making his age an issue? I'd, I'd like to know what evidence they have that his age is an issue. Is, is is she kidding? I mean, we just had to play that. I couldn't. I heard she said it, and now to hear it, what indications are of an age and issue? He never knows how to exit a stage. I watched him slur his way through a speech yesterday. I said at the. I'm not sure if I said this out loud or not or on the show, but it's as if he speaks in cursive writing, where one word just links to the next. Never knows what he's saying. And because he stuck around and shook hands with people, that means he's been around after the State of the Union address. A lot of the State of the Union address he swallowed, too. I mean, the guy's awful. He gives no interviews. He gets himself into trouble because he gets off script. Basically, Anderson Cooper had to give him, he says hello to dead people. He wants to know where a congresswoman is who passed away in an audience. My goodness. I mean, it's unbelievable what a vacuum these people are in. Do you know anybody not questioning the age of Joe Biden? Only 37% of the country want him to run again because of his age. Not his chronological age, but the way he acts. I mean, and by the way, everything that passed, nothing to do with him. None of this is his legislation. It's all the Senate. Democratic House, Democratic Senate, simple majority, because they use reconciliation, because they got infrastructure, they got 12, they got 12 uh, senators. He did nothing on that. In fact, he almost blew up the infrastructure deal when he said it had to be linked 
to his Build Back Better plan. So, I mean, go ahead. Good luck with this. You, know, you, you continue to tell people that he shows no indication of aging. And you just lose credibility uh, by the day. Meanwhile, uh, as I mentioned, 37% of the country, uh, 37% of Democrats think he shouldn't run again, have real reservations. I don't know who they would run if not him, so that would be the issue. The big story this week was Nikki Haley. Nikki Haley comes out, and she says, I'm going to run. And next thing you know, Whoopi Goldberg is offended by this. She goes after him, and then she brought up that there should be a competency test for anybody running for office after 75. Donald Trump is 76, and the president's 80. He's going to be 82 by the time we're ready to run. Listen to this exchange. Don Lemon is upset that Nikki Haley was talking about the president's age. Listen to the idiocy here. Cut 27. I think that I think it's the wrong road to go down. She says people, you know, politicians or something are not in their prime. Nikki Haley is in her prime. Sorry. When a woman is considered to be in her prime in her 20s and 30s and maybe 40s. What are you that's talking about? Acor- that's not according to me. Prime so for what? Uh, it depends. I mean, it's just like prime. If you look it up, it'll. If you look, if you Google when is a woman in her prime, it'll say twenties, thirties, and forties. I don't necessarily. Forties. Oh, I got another. I'm not decade. saying I agree with that. So I think she has to be careful. So obviously, I just listening to that, you say, listen, I said some things that I want back. I didn't make clear, but this guy went out of his way to Google it and make this point that she's not in her prime at 52 years old. And she says, well, you got to not alienate people 80 and over. How about for viewers, try not to alienate women who are over 50? That might be a good idea just for self-preservation. So a little bit later, he apologized. He kind of walked it back a little, said it was inartful statement. And then this morning, this, cut 28. Poppy is at NBA All-Stars Weekend. It is going to be so good. We have so many good moments from that, including that full interview there. Good morning, everyone. Audie Kordish is here at the desk with us this morning. Don has the day off. Poppy, as you can see, is in Utah for the NBA All-Star Game. Yep, let's just float right through that. So Don Lemon came out later and said the reference I made to women's prime this morning was inartful and irrelevant, as colleagues and loved ones have pointed out. And I regret it. A woman's age doesn't define her either personally or professionally. I have countless women in my life and, you, and prove that every day. Nikki Haley wrote, to be clear, I am not calling for a competency test for sexist, middle-aged CNN anchors, only for people who make our laws and are 75 plus. Uh, so there you go. Uh, and I'm not calling for anyone to be fired almost ever. That's not, it's not my job. But I do wonder if he wants to get fired, hates the morning show. Some people hate the morning show. So maybe he wants to get paid out. So maybe he'll just do things to prove over and over again as a belong on the morning show. So, uh, so we'll, you know, we'll, we'll talk about that. And now he's on the cover of the New York Post. My hope is that all these uh, idiotic statements that he makes and rude ways in which he acts with his coworkers are not getting him ratings. That's what I worry about. Did you see the cover of the New York Post? They're all three of them on the cover of the New York Post. And then I'm watching even Jesse Waters say, I'm not going to watch Fox and Friends. i got to watch these guys. No, I mean, watch another train wreck after we're done, after we're off, please. Thank you. It's not as if they're interesting and combustible liberal versus Republican. It's just one guy being rude to his co-workers. That's it. And to his viewers. That's all. Jackie Heinrich will bring us into the president's speech yesterday, where he's not showing any age. Uh, Jackie Heinrich will talk about balloons and the hobby club uh, that had their balloon blown up by the Biden administration. Yeah, you owe them
information you want. Truth you demand. This is the Brian Kilmeade Show. We don't yet know exactly what these three objects were. But nothing, nothing right now suggests they were related to China's spy balloon program or that they were surveillance vehicles from other, any other country. The intelligence community's current assessment is that these three objects were most likely balloons tied to private companies, recreation or research institutions studying weather or conducting other scientific research. So, well, I'm listening to this and I knew this was going to be a little bad that it wasn't necessarily China. And the fact that they can't recover the wreckage of the three other balloons was going to be an issue. But I not did not think the FBI would have to reach out to a balloon to a hobby club uh, that flies balloons. And nor did I think we would be using a uh, a sidewander uh, missile to take out a twelve dollar balloon. Jackie Heinrich probably didn't either. Uh, Jackie, you're a Fox News White House correspondent, but I bet you never thought I'd introduce you that way. I sure didn't, but I I did kind of love it, Brian. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, is this unbelievable? It might be recreational. I, I was writing. I, I know. I know a couple of fighter pilots. I wrote one of them, and they said, you know, when you're on a, over a target in Iraq, or and you think there's civilians there, you can defy a command. I mean, I'm just wondering, as an Air Force pilot, when you see a balloon that obviously is a hobby balloon, do you still do you still send a sidewinder missile? Well, I mean, I think I think two things about that. I mean, these pilots, they're flying at like 500 miles an hour toward an object that's basically stationary. So their ability to determine that it was unmanned, we are supposed to believe. Um, but, you know, if, if they have an order to, to shoot it down um, and they're you know not able to say definitively like what the thing is dangling below it. Could it be you know harboring something dangerous? Could it be a chemical? You know, don't know. So I guess we sort of have to take at face value what we're being told about all this. But I do think that what this shows is that the three objects that were shot down, you know, were a political response to pressure from having not let having not shot down the spy balloon until it crossed over the entire continental US. Um, you know, I, I learned some interesting facts this week about the Chinese spy balloons path that sort of colors it in a different way in my mind at least, because we're all saying, you know, Joe Biden, why didn't you shoot it down, you know, the second that we saw it? And we learned that actually the military was tracking it after it left off from Hainan Island province on January 21st. And then it looked like it was going to go toward Guam. They, we know about these programs. We watch Hainan Island because they have a lot of Chinese military bases there. And we'd see these balloons go places all the time. I think you've heard on the record from officials that they've been to like 40 countries, over five continents, et cetera, et cetera. So the military is watching it as it's coming toward Guam, and they assess at this time that they have no intention of shooting it down, and they want to collect intelligence against it. The president doesn't find out about this until it's approaching Alaska on January 31st. So for 10 days, the military is making all the decisions around how to deal with this balloon. And the day Joe Biden hears about it, he orders it shot down. But the military's assessment is that you shouldn't do it over land. It was already coming into Alaska at that point. And then 
There are also questions about, you know, we don't know exactly its path, but we know that at times where it was not over U.S. waters, we wouldn't have had the authority to shoot it down if it was in an international space. So I, I think those details are, are a little bit more illuminating than what we knew sure. before, but it's clear here that Biden shot down these three new objects because the pressure got to him, you know, that people were saying, you're weak on China, look at this signal that, you know, they've got a, a, a key to our back door and we don't shoot them until they're coming out the front. And I, I think he responded to that and, and shot down a hobby balloon in the making. But how about this? The FBI contacted the hobby club. And I just said that sentence that Peter Stussy said this morning, I go, Did, I can't believe we're talking about this. So, <laughs> so, and the hobby club said they repeatedly tried to reach out to the Pentagon and said, I think you shot our balloon and they couldn't get a response. So don't feel bad, Jackie. We can't get a response either. So, <laughs> <laughs> Wild. Absolutely so, wild. so a couple of things. How does that play in? And I'm asking just would you just piece this together if we kind of think through this. How does that play into the fact that they said that three times at least a balloon went into our airspace during the Trump years and they were immediately able to come up with that fact? They yeah. obviously didn't send it up the chain to the CIA director turned secretary of state turned Robert O'Brien was chief of staff. John Bolton was national security, not chief of staff, was two national security advisors. Nobody I talked to on or off radio and television. Yeah, no one knew. No one knew. So, no again, is, is that okay that, that the Pentagon was doing their own thing? And are we really to believe that Joe Biden upped the sensitivity to balloon surveillance once he took office? You know, it's it's. What seems clear is that the military has a lot of sort of purview over what what actions we do or don't take or at what level we let the president know about it. And, I, you know, I'm not a military expert, so I can't say, you know, what those reasons are or give you examples of, you know, what, where this was important in the past. I will say, you know, Joe Biden ignored the advice of his military advisors on the Afghanistan withdrawal. And we all saw how that happened. He apparently took the advice in this case. Um, but I think what, what is also interesting here is now you have NORAD, um, you know, having a greater authority to exercise the ability to make calls on whether to take action on these things. Because I remember the first spy balloon, we're all talking about why Joe Biden didn't shoot it down. And they were like, well, what about Canada? Like, they didn't shoot it down either. And the NORAD commander did a press conference and said, look, I had deemed this not a threat militarily or physically and so therefore i could not take any action and it seems like that protocol has changed where now maybe they do have the authority to take something out what we don't know is how you know what what policies and what protocols have shifted in light of all this or if they're all just doing it ad hoc um you know we're supposed to be hearing from or we were, we're going to hear from the national security advisor uh, this week about, you know, how we're going to deal with these things in the future. But we learned yesterday that we're apparently not going to get that information. It's going to go, it's going to stay classified. And their reason for that is that they don't want our adversaries to be able to, you know, evade it. But I mean, I think that we all kind of deserve some answers on, well, are we going to be shooting things out of the sky as a, on a regular basis? Or should we pay attention when we are using a Sidewinder missile and an F-16 uh, or whatever it was, and, and wonder if there's a threat there. I mean, we all kind of were wondering if we have to be worried about something happening unusual in our skies. And we were told no, but also, or, you know, what in the future, how are we supposed to look at this in the future if something like this happens again? So right. 
And by the way, the, the group to look out for, if you live in this neighborhood, just be aware, they're called the Bottle Cap Balloon Brigade. Uh, so, again, they're trouble. I've always said this. Make it up. I know. <laughs> look out. They're at 40,000 feet, and, they, and this 12-year-old. By the way, they're disappointed. They won their balloon back. So well, this is this is the best ad that the bottle bottle cap balloon ah. brigade has ever gotten in their lives. <laughs> yes, up until this point, yes. Right, uh, right. I think they might have done a local story, but uh, but Jackie, um, now a couple of things. Yeah, uh, our relations with China. Uh, the fact that the vice president and president both said the same thing: we don't consider that balloon over our airspace. First time it's been breached in sixty years a major infraction, if I could just paraphrase their feeling. It's not a big deal. And he says, and the president basically said, I can't see President Xi doing something that would jeopardize our relationship like that. Uh, if I talk to Josh Rogan, somebody who prides himself on his context and analysis of China, he can't believe it. He says this is absolutely a breach in anything except a stern retort shows weakness. Yeah. Where, do you, where, where, do you, where do you fall? I mean, I think it's, it, clearly a major breach um and it's it's clearly you know going to need to be communicated with strength back to beijing i think that what we're seeing play out you know aside from these comments from the president and vice president which you know you look at these foreign diplomats all the time you know you're supposed to read between the lines and get what the message is i think a lot of people regular people would like to just hear them speak straight about it um, but that's sort of par for the course and what you hear from State Department types and, you know, executive branch. But I think what we're watching is U.S. did sanction six Chinese entities that they've known for a long time are supporting the Chinese military's surveillance and reconnaissance abilities through their balloon and airship programs. And I asked uh, my sources, I was like, did we identify these companies based on the, you know, debris that we pulled up from the bottom of the ocean in South Carolina, or do we already know about them? They're like, well, we already knew about them. I was like, so why don't we act sooner to enact sanctions? And I was told that their balloons in the past had not been over our airspace for long enough to be considered a major threat. They didn't collect anything. And so they wanted, they thought it was more in our interest to let it continue and watch them. Um, and then we saw when we did take that action to blacklist them, almost immediately China, you know, enacts sanctions against Raytheon and Lockheed Martin. Um, so we're in a bit of a tit-for-tat sanctions war, never mind the fact that Beijing's not taking our calls. He, the foreign uh, – was it the foreign minister or the, the defense minister refused to talk to, to uh, Secretary of Defense Floyd Austin. So I don't think that we can take at face value what – Kamala Harris or Joe Biden is saying about where things stand in our relationship with China. Clearly, we are on thin ice. And I think that with respect to Taiwan and everything that we're going to be watching for, you know, over the next couple of years, given the warnings that we've heard about their intentions there, it's very important context and it should not be downplayed. Yeah, I, I want you to hear. So yesterday, the president gives his speech. I want to get your take on that. And this is how it ended. Cut 23. There's been criticism that this was. There's been criticism that this. Sir, Mr. President, Mr. President, there has been criticism. Mr. President, there has been criticism that this was an overreaction that was done because of political pressure. You turn my off and ask the question when you have more polite people. It was odd. He walked away. He hears the yelling. He just like saunters back. 
and then and then ignores the family question and then tells Peter Alexander to call him later. And he ended up calling the NBC reporter. What's your, mm-hmm. Were you in that, Jackie? I was. I was in the room. So it was, honestly, if, if I can be totally frank, it was not a great moment for our press corps because um, we are all clamoring for answers from the president. He seemed like he wanted to answer. He was engaged with Peter Alexander, trying to listen to what he was saying. He was trying to take Peter Alexander's question. But the folks on the other side of the aisle would not stop shouting long enough for him to respond to Peter, to hear his full question and respond. He did catch uh, Steve Nelson from the New York Post making that, you know, delivering that question about his family's business dealings and whether there's any nexus with China. He scoffed at that. And then I think at that point was like, you know what, I'm just going to try again with Peter, which he did for a moment, but then he really couldn't hear him and he walked out. Um, I was happy to hear that he called Peter to answer the question, but, you know, that as a journalist, we're all in there trying to get him to answer questions. It would be great if he would take more questions from the press so that we wouldn't be, you know, scrambling to try to get answers with such furor uh, whenever he does look inclined to take one or two. Um, but we were disappointed that we couldn't hear that at that moment. We had to wait several hours to hear what he said to Peter Alexander. And I was like waiting on what the headline was because I needed to know for my script that night. So um, I think that he's going to, for 2024, really need to start doing more interviews, really need to, you know, to do some more Q&As. You did see Harris, interestingly enough, do that Politico interview by phone. I think it's the first interview I've seen out of her in a in quite a long wow. time. And so maybe they're gearing up for this 2024 stuff and taking a different approach. But we'll see. I mean, Anita Dunn is still there, and she doesn't think the media matters. So, <laughs> Yeah, she's uh, amazingly uh, arrogant, my view. So a quick, quick thing. Was that you? That there wasn't you that yelled out the Hunter Biden question. So who else is interested in that storyline? That was New York Post. That was Steve Nelson from okay. the New York Post. I was trying to ask about, I mean, we had heard that the Chinese spy balloon had a self-destruct device on it. And so what we'd been hearing all along is that, you know, it was not safe to take it out over land. Well, if that's true and there's a self-destruct device how was it safe to let it cross land? I mean, I think that we just need to get better answers on that point, and it would change, you know, the, how we view everything that we've heard so far. And we still don't have the answer to that. And I just don't know one who lives in Montana, from Ryan Zinke to Senator Daines to the governor, think that not blowing up, it was, it was too risky to blow it up over Montana. They live there, and they said you might hit a caribou. So yep. there's there's so much open space outside Billings that you could not have hit anything. So I don't. No one buys that. Just stick to a story. Say you wanted to surveil it, and then let me see if you're telling the truth. But when you say I'm afraid of hurting somebody in Montana, that is not mm-hmm. accurate. I mean, it's just right. not accurate. But it must be frustrating. I'm on the outside, and for you to sit in that room and have so many questions, and then. See, the press secretary, I have two points of view. I mean, I'm not sure if she's being briefed or not. Do you think she's being briefed and not talking, or do you think she just doesn't know? Well, on the on the balloon, I think she probably knows some things. She, she probably has the information, you know, whether she's allowed to disclose it or not, I don't know. I think that that's why she rolled out John Kirby 
when we we know that all of our questions are going to be balloon related because he's just you know came he's from the Pentagon guy. he's just, you know better equipped to probably take those questions. Um, but on other topics like with the classified documents, I'm not so sure that she has information right now. I think <laughs> that there there may be some you know right. direction of information flowing right. through the White House. Jack, yeah, yeah, I'm up ahead. against a break, but uh, you're doing all a right. great job. I can't thank you enough for coming on. Appreciate it. Thanks, Brian. You Thanks. got it. Jackie Heinrich from the White House. Your call's next. Brian Kilmeade. Newsmakers and newsbreakers. Hear it first on the Brian Kilmeade Show. From his mouth to your ears, it's Brian Kilmeade. Honestly, you guys, we've tasted your cookies. We think you have one of the best products on earth we got to get these things in stores oh no stores you don't want to do stores at all the number one most hated form of sales door-to-door solicitation you want to use that as your primary method okay so you're just going to send out a bunch of informed trained professional salespeople. oh it's 10 year olds so the girls are just going to go around with the cookies and sell them oh no they don't bring the cookies so they sell that they just take orders and then they deliver them Three months later, like when everyone has forgotten how much they ordered, what if one of your potential customers, uh, I don't know, isn't home that day? Oh, just wait till next year? Okay, great. So that is the Girl Scout cookie method of sales. According to John Chris, we probably should have set it up. It would have been funnier if you were listening, knowing he was talking about Girl Scout cookies. But yes, he has two parts of it, and it's... Very entertaining. It is crazy, right? Because you order it, you totally forget, and mm-hmm. then you never have the money. Back then, you had to give checks. Yep. So you think you no one has that type. So or you forget how many you order. By the way, Girl Scouts should be buying their own private jets by now. <laughs> how much money do they have? And they never sell them. The parents all sell them. Well, that's true. Right. It is. And everyone feels guilty. What they do do, which is good, is that you can donate boxes to the troops now, which is a nice option. Right. But just keep in mind, they're good, but they're not good for you. It's not like you're selling carrots and powdered. But who's going to buy carrots? More likely to buy cookies. Right. I still don't know where the money goes. (laughs) Uh, They they wear the same uniforms every day. They haven't changed since the 50s. Where's all the Girl Scout revenue? They need a new designer. From the Fox News Radio Studios in Midtown Manhattan, it's the fastest-growing radio talk show, Brian Kilmeade. Hi, everyone. Welcome to the latest moments of the Brian Kilmeade Show. Stephen Drum at the bottom of the hour. Uh, he's a 27-year military veteran, Navy SEAL Master Chief. He's got a great book coming out shortly, Life on the X, a Navy SEAL's Guide to Meeting Any Challenge with Courage, Confidence, and Readiness. So we all got to learn that. Howie Kurtz is standing by. A lot to talk about in media and beyond. He's got his Media Buzz show coming out. It's Sunday at 11 o'clock Eastern time. But before we get anywhere, as I come to you from 48th and 6th in Midtown Manhattan, let's get to our big three. Now with the stories you need to know, it's Brian's Big Three. Sponsored by Crunch Fitness. Interested in owning your own business in a growing $30 billion industry? Check out Crunch Fitness at crunch.com. Number three. We don't yet know exactly what these three objects were, but nothing, nothing right now suggests they were related to China's spy balloon program or that they were surveillance vehicles from other any other country. Yep, uh, there you go. Joe finally speaks, but he won't answer questions. And the contents of his remarks leave a lot of questions to be answered as we find out that recreational balloons could have been the target of those other three balloons that we shot down, one of which looks like it's from a hobby club that cost $11. 
we have uh, a lot of questions. Number two. The White House says your trip here is a political stunt and that their border plan is working. What's your response? You know what? If they would actually come here, they'd realize their border plan is not working. Of course not. Uh, finally, Henry Cuellar gets some Democratic company as uh, on the border as Akeem Jeffries goes down to Laredo one day after Speaker McCarthy vows action and cites the president's ignorance. Are Democrats getting serious about the broken border or just pretending? Number one. Buttigieg didn't step up. He didn't even issue any... Uh, even a tweet for the first 10 days after this happened. Look, if you can't step up, it's time to step down. All right, and that was an easy thing to do. Uh, David Yost about to explode. The Ohio town of East Palestine is losing patience with the speed and response or lack thereof of federal help. Where is the transportation secretary? Why did it take so two weeks for the EPA director to come down? We'll talk about all that with Howie Kurtz. Howie, Welcome. Thanks, Brian. Hey, uh, first off, uh, I, I'm just amazed that this Republican governor is giving the federal government a pass. Now, I understand because of the Stafford Act, they don't qualify for FEMA. I like to see that challenged. Maybe you want to do that aggressively. But having said that, two weeks to have the EPA come down. We still haven't seen the transportation secretary. And you have a Republican governor who says everything's going fine. Well, I guess he's trying to maintain good relations with the administration because this is an absolute toxic disaster. And the fact that it's taken so long, you know, certain things may be going on behind the scenes. The fact that it's taken so long uh, for top administration officials to go there and to show people who are afraid to drink the water because of this train derailment uh, that the government is on the job, I think is disgraceful. Uh, You know, a lot of political leadership is showing up. It's almost analogous to Biden waiting so long to address the the UFO situation. And so, and Pete Buttigieg, I read a quote where he said, well, this is one of a thousand cases that we have to deal with, but this is one of the most serious environmental accidents that I've seen in quite a while. I mean, for example, there are situations that pop up that you're going to make a decision and some people won't like it. And you know what? Sometimes the decision's wrong. But if you're going to run for president, you want to lead. You want this up. Op- this is why you run. So why run from making a decision why run from the press? It's counterintuitive to why you want the job, I think. Well, I'm sure people who judge would like to run, but there's a guy who already holds the job that he probably has to defer to, uh, first of all, Brian. Um, but you know, he could I show first, up. This- he could show up and show great leadership, just like the yeah, vice president sure, could show that she has presidential timber, but she doesn't. Absolutely, positively. You know, this first came on my radar because a reporter for News Nation was roughed up and jailed by the local police because he was doing a stand-up covering Governor Mike DeWine's uh, press conference about a week ago. uh, And it was just a horrible footage where you saw him getting dragged down to the ground and then the cops tried to blame it on him. Well, charges were quickly dropped and the whole thing was just a freaking outrage. And Governor DeWine was smart enough to say, look, this reporter was doing his job. I think this was a mistake. But... That hasn't translated, I think. You know, I think that, you know, the national media were a little slow on this in the beginning. You know, it's a local story. Some town in Ohio we never heard of. But certainly it's become a big national story since then. And also the mixed messages, too. And now we have uh, Troy Nails of Texas Republican getting on J.D. Vance because J.D. Vance says, I don't care what anyone says, uh, get bottled water. Here's J.D. Vance. uh, Cut eight. What he said, as I understood it, is the water readings so far look encouraging, but I would still encourage people to drink the bottled water. I think my attitude on this is always better safe than sorry. The bottled water is accessible, as I understand it. 
Okay, that's good advice. You you feel like you're one of the community. What would I do for my family? That's what he do. But the congressman from Texas feels differently. Cut nine. I don't see how that would help the situation. I almost would say that's irresponsible. I mean, you have access to bottled water. I'm fine. I mean, that's fine. But the point is, is if the water is safe through the water treatment facility, why wouldn't you encourage your residents to, to use that water? I mean, I, I just don't see the benefit of that. Uh, it's, it's our local officials with the state have shown that the water is safe to drink. I just drank some. Right. Uh, you could say that. But the governor said, I would drink bottled water. And he's saying the safe to drink. So these are Republican or Republican. It's not encouraging. You know, I mean, of course, they want to make sure nobody gets sick. But look, the mere fact that the waterways in the area have been contaminated by the toxic chemicals that were on this train. Um, it's not a two-week thing where you drink bottled water. Think about the environmental impact uh, months from now, a year from now. I mean, people are going to get sick. I, I think we need more answers and more aggressive investigation of how this happened. And what about holding the uh, train company responsible? Yeah, and, and by the way, Pete Buttigieg, is this supposed to be an audition for him to be the future of the party? How's he doing, Howie? Well, he's had a couple of problems lately, uh, also, you know, with the Southwest Airlines meltdown, uh, where, you know, you can't blame everything on government, but certainly uh, he didn't seem to be in charge. Uh, He's obviously a smart guy, but I think right now with a lot of uh, uh, problems exploding that are in his area, and, you know, the Transportation Secretary does have to clear whatever he does at the White House, but still, they've got a guy who's very good on TV, he's telegenic. I don't see why he hasn't been out there on both of these things. Uh, there have also been some near misses with uh, airplanes. I mean, Buttigieg is not exactly killing it right now. And also, remember the grounding of every single air, uh, airline across the country uh-huh. uh, for the first time since 9-11? That happened on his watch. It turns out the system is antiquated, had a few hours to get it done. Uh, blame somebody else. And then yesterday he's out there blaming the Trump administration for a ruling on air brakes. And I'm thinking to myself, every leadership book, you know, is just the opposite of that. I mean, if you want to go deep into an interview 17 minutes in saying, by the way, it would have helped if the these guys could use the old braking system. I understand that. But for that to be your lead, I don't get it. Uh but yeah, blame the guy who was there before is a pretty tried and true tactic. And uh, I don't think it's working. And I don't think it's a good image for Buttigieg. I mean, uh, maybe somebody told him to say it. But he's got a – he should be holding press conferences every day and at least assuring the people in that part of Ohio and the country because this has become such a national story that the government is, is in fact doing everything it can to investigate this, to clean up the area, and to hold those uh, responsible accountable. It just it reminds me, when Rudy Giuliani took over, he used to ride around in cop cars and sometimes in unmarked cars just to yeah. see the crime in 42nd Street. He wanted to see it for himself. He would make these people accountable, make sure these roads are being cleaned up, make the trash was being done. There's something, you know it in reporting, uh, and especially in sports, go to the locker room, go to the practice. I don't know what you're going to see, but you, if you're going to comment on it, you got to go. There's the first thing they tell you in sports radio. you got to go meet the guys, even if they hate you. You got to make mm-hmm. see how the coaches act, see who's late for practice, see the body language, see who talks to the press, who doesn't, who wants out and who doesn't, who's always around the trainers and who's always around his agent. The only thing you could do is go to the locker room. The same thing with these stories. If you want to go cover it, you have to walk the blocks, find out what people are complaining about. And that's what I thought J.D. Vance did yesterday 
But if I can also use your expertise on 2024, mm-hmm. Nikki Haley rolls out uh, uh, rolls out her campaign. I thought impressively, and I think two things happened. She was attacked by Whoopi Goldberg, and she was attacked by Don Lemon because she said there should be a competency test for any candidate over 75. Listen to this exchange, cut 27. I think that I think it's the wrong road to go down. She says people, you know, politicians or something are not in their prime. Nikki Haley isn't in her prime. Sorry. When a woman is considered to be in her prime in her 20s and 30s and maybe 40s. What do you that's talk? Not acor- Wait. I, that's not according to me. Prime for what? I, it depends. I mean, it's just like prime. If you look it up, it'll if you look, if you Google when is a woman in her prime, it'll say 20s, 30s and 40s. I don't necessarily. 40s. Oh, I got another I'm not decade. saying I agree with that. So I think she has to be careful. I mean, he had to walk it back. He said it was inartful. Your response to his comments. One of the dumbest things that Don Lemon has ever said, and he's not on the air today for that reason. His female co-host couldn't believe it. Um, And, you know, I kind of predicted this because a few days ago I started to see Lemon. uh, Remember, they took him off primetime where he was a Trump-hating liberal and said, oh, no, he's now going to be just a sparkly uh, morning host guy. Uh, But the ratings of that show are awful. It's not gotten off to a good start. And I started to see him attack. Republicans and reverting back to his liberal self. And I don't know if he was encouraged to do that or they're just trying to, like, get some numbers up. But then he really steps in it with this. Uh, you know, Nikki Haley's 51 years old. That is absolutely <laughs> the prime of life for any politician, female or male. Right. Is he trying to get fired, Howie? What do you think? I mean, going after, repeatedly going after his co-anchors, knowing that there's heat on him already. I mean, have, you, have we seen anything like this before? I, I don't know what the motive is. I mean, he went after the New York Post uh, saying it's not a credible source on the whole business about the Hunter Biden laptop, even though CNN itself has authenticated the laptop. Of course, it was, you know, a year and a half later, along with the New York Times, Washington Post, uh, et cetera. So I don't know what Don Lemon is up to, but I don't think it's going to help that morning show one bit. I mean, controversy is good to a point, but not when you're uh, having to apologize for what you said. All right, the other thing is I have a job between 6 and 9, and so I wasn't able to hear this live. But Mika Brzezinski was, was talking about age, and she was talking about Joe Biden. And I just want you to listen to this and tell me what you think. He was very underestimated. He's accomplished more than any modern president. Is that fair to say? In two years? Yes? Yeah. Well, right yeah I, yes. Think, sure. I think and, legislatively, just, you'd have to go back to, to LBJ. In uh, terms of his ability to, to perform, did you yeah. see his State of the Union? Like, who's making his age an issue? You know, I'd, I'd like to know what evidence they have that his age is an issue. I, I can't, I I'll can't tell you who's making go his ahead. age an issue. All the Democrats who don't want him to run again. Politico had a big piece interviewing mostly uh, off the record these governors and senior senators saying everybody here doesn't want him to run again. We love Joe Biden. We think he did a good job, but he's going to be 86 at the end of his second term. The uh, roughly 60 percent of Democrats, this is Democrats and Democratic leaners in polls who say they don't want him to run again. Um, You can debate whether he's done a good job or a bad job, but he can't change his age. The guy he wants to run again, of course, Brian, is Donald Trump because he's only a few years younger. If Biden ends up running against a younger generation Republican, uh, I think that's a tough, tough uh, challenge for him. Right. I am just have to suspend logic to think that his age hasn't been an issue. You see the way he speaks, the way he gets lost sometimes walking in uh, on and off stage, calling for Congress people that are no longer living, ask mm-hmm. if they were there. I mean, for you could say that I, I love the guy, but you can't say that he hasn't lost his fastball when you compare it even to when he was vice president. 
Uh, I mean, she yeah, no, really I mean, seemed I've shocked Biden by that. Th- I've known Joe Biden for 35 years. He's always been a gaffe machine and not a great public speaker. But uh, clearly he does get confused. He's 80. It's amazing what he's doing at 80. He just had a pretty good physical, according to what the White House is telling us. But to, you, you can argue it either way. But to say that it's not an issue when polls are, I mean, it's pretty incredible. Biden was sort of riding high after the midterms, and then he had the problem with the classified documents, and then he had the problem with the Chinese spy balloon. And it's just pretty evident that most of his party would prefer someone else. The problem is, as you know, they don't want Kamala Harris. They don't think she's capable of running a successful presidential campaign. And the Democrats don't have much of a bench. Howie, who's going to be on your show this weekend? Well, we're still working on that, but we are going to spend a lot of time on uh, why Biden spent so long uh, to speak out. Even if he didn't have much to say, people want to see the commander in chief. They want to see some semblance of leadership. And he was really pushed into it, I think, by a lot of the commentary. Um, And uh, thank you for plugging the show. Absolutely. Are you kidding? Media buzz. It's a must must watch. Howie Kurtz, thanks so much. Absolutely. Just just ask. Uh, Howie Kurtz, thank you. Uh, meanwhile, when we come back, I open up the phones, one 866 And then we have Steve Drum. Uh, we'll go inside the Ukraine war and our wars. Don't move. Learning something new every day on The Brian Kilmeade Show. A talk show that's real. This is The Brian Kilmeade Show. How has this chemical contamination impacted your life? Um, it's been absolutely, absolutely terrible. It's uprooted uh, me and my six children. It's making me move out of my house. People don't know what we're safe to drink their water. They're saying yes, but then we got fish kills everywhere. I worry because I have a well, so I worry in six months, you know, what could happen to my water. What have you noticed about the environment since this has happened? Um, it's dirty. <laughs> There's a lot of dust flying around. That creek is dead. There is not a dead, there's not a fish in there. There's not a newt. There's not a salamander. There's no frogs, dead snakes. I don't know where the birds all went, but there's, we don't see any birds in our place. Uh, Let's go out to James WLAD. That, of course, is Palestine, Ohio. And these people don't know what hit them and they're getting very few answers. Hey, James. Hey, thank you. Uh, yeah, there is this question that is completely unresolved. And from what in anything I can find, we know that the rule that the Trump administration uh, reversed about electronic control breaks, that may have been a, a, a misguided move. But my question as a Democrat is, well, why wasn't the rule reinstated by the Biden administration? I, what I read is that Buttigieg says they're constrained by law. I'd like to understand this better. And I, I think it's really important to ask the question, like if there's an, an economic calculation being made, where does the uh, train industry in this particular company stand in terms of their profits? And it sounds like these breaks should be standard. That's uh, what I wanted to say. And I think right. that this is one of those issues where politically, left and right, let's get this right. Because it's any kind of derailment like that. If we have safety features we can put in, let's get it done. Because How about the fact that there's a thousand day, derailments a year? I had no idea. We're still wrestling with how to work trains? Yeah. And by the way, James, no indication this happened by breaking. It's an axle broke. So. Oh, yeah, I mean, so we can find out the cause, then find out their action, then find out why they're doing hazardous material and didn't label it as such. So, and then find out where the where the air experts are. The, the the company is testing the air. I'm not comfortable with that. And the state, all right, but the federal government is down there testing the air. Well, yeah, they're coming. They're coming. The EPA director is coming. Yeah, one day, yesterday, gone. He went to one creek and one house. 
Todd, listen to WIBX. Real quick, Todd. Hey, uh, thanks, Brian. I was just saying, I heard your sound bite there with not a frog, not a new, you know, uh, you know, not a salamander, but it's wintertime. You're not going to see those animals anyway. And I'm not taking away anything some dead, no, but we saw some dead ones. people. But I know what you mean. But yeah, the, I know. I mean, I'm not talking about anything, trying to take anything away. But also the ground is cold. It's going to take a longer time so that to, for the for to get into the wells. So they're going to hurry up and test the wells to get the clean, clean, clean reading. And, and when all actuality, it's going to take a lot longer for it to get down there. That's why the creek is dying, because everything's running off into the creek instead of going into the ground. Great point. Uh, great point. But there is, I'm looking at dead fish. Dead frogs. Uh, so I know what you mean. They're not as plentiful. They're not as apparent. They're not everywhere. But they are dead, <laughs> the ones we saw. I'm pretty sure I can pick out a dead frog. But you never know. Stephen Drum next. Talk about the war. It's one year since Ukraine. A radio show like no other. It's Brian Kilmeade. The resolve of the Ukrainian people is remarkable. They are steadfast and they are still in this, despite the obvious casualties and suffering that the Russians are imposing on. Those air defense systems that we're talking about are absolutely crucial. Some of the Ukrainian air defense systems cannot deal with the sophistication of some of the missiles. So, yes, Patriot systems and other systems like that, which the Ukrainians began asking for last year, are vital to keeping that suffering down and certainly casualties down in their own people. That is uh, General Jack Keane talking about one year into this war, how Ukraine is holding on and might be poised to take back a lot of territory. They've taken back over 50 percent of what they lost initially. And uh, and let's see what can happen, because the Russians are putting about 200,000 more troops into the fray. A man joining me now is no uh, stranger to war, 27-year military veteran, Navy SEAL Master Chief, co-creator of the U.S. Navy Warrior Toughness Program, and author of a brand-new book, Life on the X, A Navy SEAL's Guide to Meeting Any Challenge with Courage, Confidence, and Readiness. Stephen Drum, welcome. Hey, thanks. Good morning, Brian. Thanks for having me on. No problem. When's your book coming out? So pre-sales are up right now. Pre-orders are up right now. Anywhere online books are sold, and that's for the print and for the e-book. And the audio book will come out a little bit later. The book officially launches on March 7th. Nice. Uh, See, first off, what's your take on how this war is playing out? The, The experts have said the war colleges reveal this looks more like World War I. Yeah, I would say... You know, and a lot of people right now are are questioning, okay, well, how much do we want to continue pouring into this? But I always look at this in terms of how the world is watching our response to this as it relates especially to China. They're watching. They're testing us. So I I think that we obviously have to have a measured response in terms of escalation, but we wholeheartedly – there can be no question on our resolve to uh, support the Ukrainian people. So you could see the bigger picture – that if Ukraine falls quickly, there goes Moldova, there goes Georgia, look out Poland. Yeah, and then things, and it's easy. It's easy to kind of go down that route. Well, now we're looking at serious conflict that we had not seen in 60-some years. And we're not playing a role. We're providing the weapons, which far outstrip Russia. Do we overestimate Russia's quality? You know, I think in terms of, I think to a degree, yes, I think. You know, we look back at, like, their technology in terms of their hypersonic missiles. And I always go back to 
one of the things that U.S. military does that other nations, even our allies, often can't do to the same degree is our combined arms combat power. It's one thing to have certain individual soldiering skills. It's one thing to have technology. But how do you integrate all of it? How do you integrate all of it so anywhere from your supply to your reconstitution of forces after casualties on the battlefield, it's the big picture. It's coordination of that effort, and I think the U.S. does that, and I think we're seeing that right now, that Russia is not capable when it comes to that full-spectrum combat operation. What did you get out of joining the military uh, all those years ago? You know, I was just an 18-year-old kid, and I really knew that I wanted to do something. I always wanted to serve in an elite unit. And I was like, oh, I won't make this a career. But once I got in and once I found myself in field training, I realized, hey, I'm surrounded by some of the best people that I've ever met. This is my home. This is where I want to spend, you know, the rest of my young adult life. And from that, I really learned a lot of things on really how to show up in moments, really how we plan, prepare, and execute in the SEAL teams. It really translates to all the other areas in my life as well. And so I really took a lot of that, just being deliberate and intentional with how you show up to important moments. Did you join to become a SEAL? I did. I joined to become a SEAL at 18, right out of high school. And unfortunately, I always make this joke. I wasn't the smartest kid, A, because I failed to qualify for SEAL training by a couple of points. But then I was also dumb enough to believe the recruiter when he told me, oh, they'll just waver those couple of points. So worked on submarines for a couple of years and then went out to SEAL training in 1995. And so, and then when, what was uh, the, your journey like? Where did you end up being deployed? Uh, what are some of the missions you're comfortable talking about? Yeah, so first off, I joined, you know, I showed up my first SEAL team in 1996, SEAL Team 2 on the East Coast, and we did several deployments, did some deployments to Europe, to the Middle East, a little bit in Africa, things like that. Some kind of real-world operations, but nothing crazy. And then my first Iraq deployment was 2004. That's when I first got my kind of my real taste of what combat was like. Went from, I showed up there, and we were doing actually uh, doing mobile security, mobile security details for the interim Iraqi government. And I found myself going out on sniper operations. And from there, a couple more deployments to Iraq, Afghanistan, back to Europe. So kind of all over the place. Um, but it, it, was a, it was a great journey. How, how much different, how much more did you learn in combat as compared to in training? Well, I think you always wonder, you know, everybody wonders, how am I actually going to show up when the bullets are flying? And that's the big thing. And I think what was really revealing to me, and this was an aha moment for me, is the first time I'm in combat, taking heavy fire, grenades being thrown at me. And as I was in that moment, I started actually having flashbacks to the training, to the urban warfare training we would do before we went overseas. And I realized just how important the proper level of training is. And it was effective. I'd never been in that situation, but the training made it feel as if I had because of the realism. And I had confidence from that, even through the fear. Right. And I mean, that builds into your book, right? The discipline, the, the willingness to work at it, to prepare for the time before it happens. Some of the things you can apply to everyday life. So when it comes to war, you also you're not alone. You have to learn to work as a team. Is that why it's a, it's so legendary tough to get through SEAL training? It is right. And there's always the adage, you know, we always say anybody can make it through like SEAL training. But what they're really looking for, and this kind of culminates in Hell Week, many people have, have heard that, right? Hell Week is where, for the uninitiated, it's a five-day, almost fun fest, right? No, consisting of almost no sleep, constant physical activity, and frequent immersion in that cold water. And it tests two things. It tests your level of commitment. How do you have the mental fortitude to push well past when your body says no? And two, 
How well will you collaborate with your teammates? Will you put your own, pay, your own pain, your discomfort, your misery, will you put that aside and support your teammates and support the mission? And if you can do that, if you can grind it out, then you make it to a field team where you're further evaluated and further tested. Were you worried and are you still concerned about the vaccine mandate and what happened to the SEALs and how they had to go to court to keep from being expelled? You know, I I can't probably speak too much on that, honestly. I mean, personally, I, I would say this, and, and I'll probably unpopular decision within the teams, but it's like, hey, you got to at a certain point, if this is what there's needed for mission readiness, you know, I don't, I, I don't necessarily, I believe in the freedom of choice, but at the same time, it's like, hey, this is what we need. We need you to be combat effective, and this that's the decision they made. Now, can they clean it up right now? Can they revise that? Probably, but... You know, at a certain point, sometimes you just got to get in the boat and row, even though, you know, it's not what we want to hear. And that's what we want to do, because it's about mission readiness. What about life on the X? What, what does that so mean? What, yeah, so X, the term X, it's a military doctrine term. But you can think of it almost like X marks the spot. So when you fast rope out of a helicopter onto that rooftop of that building you're assaulting, we refer to that as landing on the X. And we also use it. For, for example, patrolling down the street, the enemy ambushes us, has us in that kill zone. We're on the X there, too. In that case, we got to get off the X. But that X is that most dangerous, most difficult part of a combat operation. And it applies to our own lives, professionally, personally, where opportunities converge with some of the stress that we feel. And we really need to be deliberate and intentional with setting the table for our success so we show up big and bring our A game to those most important moments. And how does that translate for people listening right now who will never uh, get close to the level of fitness and discipline that you've displayed for your 27-year career as as a uh, as a Navy SEAL? Well, you know, it's you know, it, for the average person, myself included, like nobody's shooting at me. It's not life or death right now. But I think for all of us, you know, you have jobs, careers, reputations, relationships, those things that are on the line. We often feel that pressure, and it's all relative, right? And some of the biggest stress that I've felt has been outside of combat, when I'm, whether I'm worried about showing up being unprepared or looking stupid. That creates an amount of stress that I think we all can relate to. But if we use some of the skills that elite athletes, uh, special operations forces, we use some of the skills that they use to be prepared and executed at a high level, then I think we're all going to be better served in terms of showing up better and bigger professionally as well as in our personal lives and our relationships. And I, by the way, I've seen Stephen Drum speak, and he's very motivating, relatable to, to your elite status, relates to the everyday person. Uh, I know I, I got a lot from what you're saying, and I'm looking forward to the book coming out. I, I got some of the material before, but it'll be out in a week. We hope to have you on TV and radio. But, Steve, just uh, looking at your life and the transition we understand it's extremely tough, especially for people that do, do things as significant as you. A lot of times when they make the transition to the civilian world, it's extremely tough. Did you have a tough one? Yeah, I mean, quite frankly, I did. You know, I, I, I launched the speaking business literally about two months before COVID hit. So I couldn't, I found myself in that situation where, like, I can't, I, I couldn't contribute. I couldn't do the thing that I love. I, I was just kind of like found myself in that kind of moment of self-pity. And I had to realize, you know, even though I can't like, go out there and maybe speak to an audience, I have a greater purpose, right? What is it exactly that's important to me? Do some, some character search and say, okay, well, at the end of the day, I can still push out a method, message that I think the world needs to hear. And I think for all veterans doing that transition, find out. Less so about the specifics of how you want to execute something, but what do you stand for? 
kind of align your values, your beliefs, create a personal mission statement, and try to make decisions that support that personal mission statement every day. Do you get worried that we're soft as a, getting soft as a country? I do, for sure. There's, there's an element of that. And I think as, as parents, we don't often, you know, we, we get into that competition game of wanting to plow obstacles out of our children's path at every turn to make it easy so they don't feel pain. But I, I think it's really kind of letting our kids fail in a controlled environment, letting them fail, letting them face adversity, because that's, that, that's going to develop the grind. That's going to develop their commitment to things that are hard in life to get them where they want to be and, and really to, to toughen them up. So not everything has to offend you, right? Sometimes people say things, it's on you to be offended or not be offended. It's on you to kind of say, here's how I'm going to respond to whatever's going on, and here's how I'm going to get to where I need to go. Stephen Drum, thanks so much for your service. Look forward to the book. Pre-order it now. Uh, Life on the X, a Navy SEAL's guide to meeting any challenge with courage, confidence, and, re- and, and readiness. Thanks, Steve. Hey, thanks so much, Brian. I appreciate it. You got it. When we come back, I'll open up the phones, one 408 7669 We're talking about how this Ohio team's uh, been treated by this federal government, this high, Ohio town, I should say. We're also talking about what's happening at the border. I'm very encouraged that Hakeem Jeffries went down to the border with a man that understands it, Henry Cuellar. Could he really show leadership as uh, as the ranking member of the House? And we're also talking about the China balloon. Yeah, one was China. The other three might have been recreational balloons. We owe a 12-year-old recreation, uh, a 12-year-old hobby company team uh, a new balloon. Should we pay it? Educating, entertaining, enlightening. You're with Brian Kilmeade. The more you listen, the more you'll know. It's Brian Kilmeade. Hey, we are back, everybody. Don't forget One Nation coming up Saturday night, 8 o'clock. Build your life around it. Repeat it again at 11, but watch it. If you have to DVR it, great, but watch it in the same night. Believe me, it's. Uh, I can't imagine people going out without watching the show first. What will you talk about with your loved one? Let's find out if there's more to know. More to know. Patrick Mahomes gave the Lombardi Trophy uh, to a fan at a parade and left it behind. These have, used to have Stanley Cup stories like this. The two-time champ was captured on video, casually handing it off. Mahomes, who did remember to hold on to his beer, was posing for a selfie with the fan and seemingly forgot to retrieve it. It happens to everybody ever after they win MVP at the Super Bowl, I'm sure. He did say, though, his security guard or someone from the Chiefs most likely went back to get it. Yeah, so I mean, they sure. didn't have it forever. He's got a detail. Yes. You know, if you're the quarterback, don't worry about the trophy. Just take the picture and walk away. That's true. Right? And hold on to your beer. Hold on to my beer. Next, Bruce Willis' condition worsens. New Jersey actor uh, diagnosed with dementia, a rare form of dementia. He seems to be losing it slowly. It's His type of dementia is... For people under 65 for the most part. And here's a quote from his family. Well, this is painful. It's a relief to finally have a clear diagnosis. The statement read, FTD is a cruel disease that many of us have never heard of and can strike anyone. Uh, they say usually you inherit it. It's called frontal, uh, frontal temporal dementia. So it's tough. Um, he's still fit, uh, but he's slowly uh, forgetting things. Next. McDonald's is debuting a plant-based McNugget. Finally, the Chicago-based fast food giant is introducing the plant-based McNuggets next week. McPlant McNuggets make from peas, corn, wheat with a tempura batter. 
are the second product McDonald's has co-developed with Beyond Meat, an El Segundo, California-based maker of meat. I heard Joe Rogan talking about this. He says Beyond Meat is terrible for you. Is he that says it's terrible for the ground, terrible for the... I don't know. It's so processed. Do you not order as much anymore? I don't because I used to feel good about it. And mm-hmm. now I'm, I haven't really dove into it because I get a lot of texts and messages and I'm always doing something. But people at the farm are like, not only do you, should you not do it, it's worse for the land than any type of cow would do. Interesting. Well, if you don't want to do the Beyond stuff, John Christ tried Chick-fil-A's cauliflower sandwich. All right. And want to hear what he had to say? Chick-fil-A, as of today, is serving the deep-fried piece. I don't even know what cauliflower is, a vegetable, I guess. Dude, if I... And critical of something that Chick-fil-A does, that's like a Democrat being like, hey, I think the climate change stuff was all just made up. Yeah. Or like a Republican being like, yo, maybe we do need to get rid of some of these assault rifles. I don't know how else to say this, but I'm coming across party lines today. I might. I don't know. I haven't had it yet. It's not going down. You know how you eat something and tell them? That's a wolf in sheep's clothing right there. That looks exactly like a chicken sandwich, but it's a vegetable. This is a sheep in wolf's clothing, dog. This looks just like a chicken sandwich, but once you get up under the hood there and realize what's going on underneath, it's diff- that's like a transgender chicken sandwich. <laughs> so does he like it or not? He didn't really love it. Like, I got to text him. Yeah, he thought you should text him since you guys are buddies. Right. Um, yeah, like he said, it looks like chicken, but he wasn't a fan of the cauliflower. But you like cauliflower, I so do. you might enjoy it. I, you know, they have cauliflower steak at Del Frisco's across mm-hmm. the street. And I've ordered that. If you, uh, did they take it off the menu? They might have. I haven't seen it there for a while. But my question is, do they charge you the same price as a steak, even though they're serving you cauliflower? I don't know. Eric usually pays. <laughs> I mean, we go out pretty much. Uh, I'm sure. It better not. Are I you know. kidding? Uh, next, Rihanna says motherhood is everything, and she shares cover of Vogue with uh, ASAP Rocky and their son after revealing her second pregnancy. So speaking to the magazine, Rihanna gushed that Rocky is her best friend and described motherhood as everything she admitted she wanted. Speaking to the publication, Rihanna gushed over motherhood and described it as everything, as I mentioned. She says becoming a mother is everything. So we pretty much, it's everything. But why is she performing then if it's everything? Well, because I think she, what, she probably committed to this before she knew she was pregnant again or not? Or? So we watched inside. We had seats at the Super Bowl. We did. I did not know the extent and how bad she is at lip syncing. I watched it back. I mean, at one time, she's not even holding the mic by her mouth. Well, you could see at one point they did. She, I mean, her voice was going on the air and she wasn't singing. But I know they always have the backup tracks. But, um, yeah, I know when we were watching, though, it was hard to tell. You're like, did she just not lose the baby weight? Or but, you have that echo. You know, I consider myself, consider myself the luckiest man, the luckiest mm-hmm. man. He didn't know if it was happening in the stadium, but... But, but I, it was an interesting decision to go out uh, high on a platform. Yeah, she was so high. So, I mean, you saw it on TV, but in the stadium, I mean, she was almost, like, out of the stadium. Yeah, once again, I missed the story. I did not know she was pregnant. Everyone's like, wow, did you see the big reveal that she's pregnant? I'm like, no, I didn't like, know. Like, I just thought she was fat. <laughs> I, did, I did not say that, but I did know she wasn't as defined as she was prior to birth. Now we know she's going back at it. And by the way, Thanks for putting six times that uh, the baby uh, being a parent is everything. From high atop Fox News headquarters in New York City, always seeking solutions, never sowing division. It's Brian Kilmeade. 
Hi, hi, everyone. Welcome to the latest moments of the Brian Kilmeade Show. We come out to you from Midtown Manhattan, heard around the country, around the world. Uh, Dr. Tom Kirsting is going to be in here. He is going to be talking about something extremely valuable. How about getting inside of today's teens uh, and social media? He's got a brand new book out. His new book is called Raising Healthy Teenagers. His other book was called Disconnected, and it was essentially how to disconnect uh, your kids from their social media. He's a high school counselor who expanded and realizes there's a huge need for that. I have a huge need to talk to Shannon Bream every other day. Uh, and now this is the second time in five days I'm seeing her in person. You on the phone? It's my lucky day. Oh, yeah, it is. But don't you usually is talk on the microphone? Yeah. <laughs> How do these things work, yeah, these microphones gonna... and technology? Right. It's How does that work? I, you know, if you weren't doing a network show, I would say maybe she needs to be a, needs a little primer. Uh, <laughs> Jenna Bream is the anchor of Fox News Sunday. I am. She's also Fox News' chief legal correspondent and author of The Mothers and Daughters of the Bible Speak Lessons on Faith from Nine Biblical Families. Is this your latest? Do you want to about? No, my new book is coming. The Love Stories of the Bible is out in March, but you right. can pre-order it now. If you're, you're not busy reading Brian's collection of bestsellers. Right, right. but I don't have do something both. coming out in March. Okay, but when's your next one? Okay. Maybe in the fall? Uh, fall. Okay, good. So you have time to read right. mine and then read Yeah, I saw the later. memo that uh, you've committed to do the whole hour with me. I, I did. I did. <laughs> I did. Yes. Right. Um, yes, I'm excited to announce that. Okay. <laughs> we have a little bit of an issue, but I'm going to get to the big three. Real quick. Okay. Now with the stories you need to know, it's Brian's Big Three. Number three. We don't yet know exactly what these three objects were, but nothing nothing right now suggests they were related to China's spy balloon program or that they were surveillance vehicles from other any other country. Good. Uh, <laughs> we have a lot to say about that. Uh, and uh, uh, Joe finally speaks, but he was answering. He wouldn't answer any questions. And the contents of the remarks leave me to think that we are really out of step with stopping China's near space program. And look out. If you have a hobby of flying balloons, do not get them near fighter jets. Number two. The White House says your trip here is a political stunt and that their border plan is working. What's your response? You know what? If they would actually come here, they'd realize their border plan is not working. Yes, that would help. Finally, Henry Cuellar gets some Democrats company, Democratic company at the border, and it's going to be Akeem Jeffries. He heads to Laredo today. Yesterday, it was Speaker McCarthy, you just heard, vowing action, citing the president's ignorance. I hope Akeem Jeffries wants to solve this problem because it is certainly a problem in New York where we have 43,000 illegals being housed on our dime. Number one. Buttigieg didn't step up. He didn't even issue any... Uh, even a tweet and for the first 10 days after this happened. Look, if, if you can't step up, it's time to step down. About to explode, the Ohio town of East Palestine losing patience with the speed of the response and lack of federal help from the toxic spill courtesy of Norfolk Southern train derailment. Is the water safe? Is the air safe? Are the streams clean? No one can say for sure, but everything's dead. Joining us now is Shannon Bream. A lot of fish are dead, I should say. A lot of frogs are dead. No birds. Are you sure? That's what I hear. So Word on the street. I, I was could not be less impressed with Governor DeWine, just my opinion. I don't want to get you in trouble. But he was on with us this morning, and you know this, and I think you'll back me up on this. When you have somebody on and they keep talking as if they're afraid you're going to ask a question, another question. A little filibuster situation. Totally filibuster. Even Kellyanne Conway would have said, slow down. Uh, you got to <laughs> let me take a breath. What do you mean? Kellyanne Conway has a lot to say, and that's why she's a great guest. But Governor DeWine powered right through it. Number one, 
the first person from the Biden administration show up in person yesterday, the EPA director, one day. Mm-hmm. He goes, I saw a creek and I saw a house. I saw one family. Yeah, and, and these folks have been, I mean, begging for information and for help, and they're rightfully scared. I mean, especially when people have not been so transparent with them. They feel like they're not getting information about the threats to their own health, their kids, their families, their pets, all of it. Can they drink the water? Can they not? I mean, there's so much conflicting information and lack of guidance for them. They're rightfully angry. And when people don't show up for the town hall where they're supposed to get information, I mean, what would you do? I would, I would, uh, well, number one, no one makes it tougher. And I know this feeling. They live paycheck to paycheck. Yeah, exactly. Almost everybody that's hopped on our air mm-hmm. has said, one, one woman came out with uh, Tucker last night. She goes, I am poor. I can't afford a car. Exactly. I have two kids. I have to walk with my kids to the supermarket carry a case of water back because they told me I can't drink the water. And when you are living modestly, you don't get bottled water. I mean, a case of that is money that you didn't need to spend if you think you can just um, drink out of the faucet like we all did growing up. You know, and for her, that's a real hardship. So Michael Regan came down there yesterday. He's the APA administrator. Cut one. We are absolutely going to hold Norfolk Southern accountable. And I can promise you that. EPA has also issued a letter to Norfolk Southern outlining actions at the site and how the agency will hold the railroad accountable for cleanup and costs under EPA's circular authority. So, okay, one day, then he's got to go. The testing done by Southern, and it's done by the state. They go, what about the EPA director? He goes, toxicology experts are on their way. I was about, I'm trying to tell the governor, what are you talking about? You've had two weeks. What do you mean they're on their way? They should have been there the next day. Right, that day. I mean, and so weeks of exposure to this stuff, and people have no idea what the long-term potential outlook could be for health, for the environment, for all kinds of things. And it just harkens back to things, um, disasters in the past. You know, people keep bringing up, you know, Chernobyl and Three Mile Island. And, like, people in the beginning weren't told the full truth about the impact. And, you know, you hope that these are contained and people are going to be fine. But... For two weeks for them to be wondering whether they can even drink their water or whether they're safe is crazy. And like you said, this is not like these folks can be like, oh, I'm going to go hang out at my second home or I'm going to go check into a hotel. Like, that's ridiculous and just um, not an option. Yeah. By the way, we're going to follow up on this story later. The sports Shannon Bream's going to be on One Nation this weekend. I'm looking for a second mm-hmm. source on that. Uh, I drive on- a hard bargain. You So you're not committed? I don't know whether I am or not. People have to tune in Saturday night to find out. David Yost is the attorney general uh, for the state. And was waiting for some type of federal presence. Cut five. There are very few things where the state can sue the federal government. The federal government controls whether it can be sued. Um, But you can be sure that that will be among the list of things that our lawyers are looking at. Um, Very concerned about uh, the lack of at least a visible response at this point, now two weeks into this disaster. So... There's a call by Marco Rubio, Senator Kennedy, and others for, for Pete Buttigieg to just resign. And my feeling is, Shannon, you got the job. You want to be president. This is a great audition to see if you can do a transportation secretary. Epic fail when all our planes got grounded second time ever, first time 9-11. Epic fail on Southwestern when he was supposed to check with all the airlines to make sure they were ready for the first up, up-ramped, uh, upscale Christmas holiday since the pandemic. Big fail when it comes to supply chain emergency. Everyone could take paternity, but there's a way to put somebody in charge, if you're not going to be, that is going to affect everybody's holidays and living. 
when your advice is order your Christmas presents early. I don't like that answer. The balloon thing on transportation, okay, not exactly it, but where are you? And then this, well, there's a thousand derailments. I can't, you know, it's really not rare to come. Come on, this is not leadership. Well, and that's going to be the big ding on him is that he was a mayor and that he had all this promise. Remember how when we were out on the road with um, Iowa and New Hampshire, he really did well in those early states. And people are like, he's a fresh new face. This is a new Oxford um, grad. Right. I mean, he's a military vet. Like he has all kinds of fantastic things on his resume. But a cabinet position is a massive deal. And our transportation system and infrastructure is critical in this country, just like it is in any country. So all of the things that you've ticked off. His detractors and even some of his supporters have said he hasn't been able to step up to the demands of this position. And that may be something if for some reason the president decides he's not going to run again. I don't think Pete Buttigieg is going to be on the first list for most folks on, you know, the one to step off the bench. Right. I just think and this is what I'm going to have as my lead on the One Nation monologue is leadership. If you make a decision, I want you to criticize my decisions but you're not going to get no decision. Mm-hmm. And if you run for president, you want to get elected, you raise all this money, you work so hard. In theory, you go and campaign, not by President Biden's stake, but he tried it three times before. This is your moment. Mm-hmm. So, and, and Reagan stepped up, fired the air traffic controllers. George Bush stepped up on 9-11, but wasn't happy the way he was perceived in Katrina in the plane. You make FDR, we were bombed last night, we're going to war. Okay. You don't love going to war. You hope it's the right decision. You don't have a shot. That's leadership. You elected me. I'm going to do it. Then debate. Shannon, Bree, and Brian Kilmeade debate the quality of the of the decision. Can you imagine uh, a football coach not sending in the play because too much was at stake? Not showing up at the game. Or, You're or not saying up. that there are a thousand games. Right. So it's okay. It's right. fine. Like uh, no, a thousand I think, plays, thousand games. You don't have to do it. Yeah, I, I love think the analogy. Even even the folks who love him are, are questioning how he's handling these things. And, and there's just so much you get by showing up and talking to people. So he's walking around and he goes, "Well, I'm not. An, I'm not a." train expert. I don't really even know that the axle broke. I'm going to get to the bottom of it. I want you to meet my guy who is a train expert. And I want you to meet my toxicology expert. Mm-hmm. I, 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 Secretary of Transportation, he could get everybody there. Right. And you I'm know how here, many donors I'm, he has of influence? Right. I'm breathing your, the same air that you're breathing. I'm here in your community. And I think that would go a long way because a lot of times people just in the moments of a crisis, like when a president shows up, it means a ton for people to see a big name face to there to be there at least saying, I understand you're in a painful situation. We're doing everything we can. Well, uh, Joe Biden, to his credit, showed up and did do the border. Mm-hmm. And when Barack Obama asked him to, you might not like his decision, but you can't say he didn't try. I, I don't like a lot of his decision, but you can't say he didn't try. Um, Kamala Harris said, no, I'm not doing it. Mm-hmm. Basically, I'll do it to a couple of Zoom calls and visit one country. And then if she, Mike Pence was told during the pandemic, if he didn't want to lead pandemic operations, uh, he had a funny way of showing it because he was there every day holding his own press conference, interacting with all the governors. They love Pence. Democrats love dealing with Mike Pence Mm -hmm. because he got answers, and that's why he's a legitimate contender to be president. This is a great time for the 51-year-old vice president, the the 44-year-old secretary of transportation, and they're blowing it. I think performance does matter. That's why I think Gavin Newsom is not a great great fit, even though he looks the part. Maybe Jared Polis is. Um, because he's been more effective in Colorado. He has, and he's done things that weren't strictly partisan in nature. I mean, he pushed back on a lot of the COVID restrictions, even as a Democrat governor. He's done a lot of things that have had people on both sides of the aisle saying, like, "Mm, he can work across this, and maybe that's a a good lane for the Democrats. Let's go to Balloon Gate, uh, because I find it fascinating. The Chinese balloon and the program that existed for five years, but no one knew about it, but everyone knew about it? Okay, I'll work on that. And then we shoot three things out of the sky to the point where every other day I go, what? We just got to knock down a 
balloon in Nova Scotia? Did we knock down a balloon in Lake Huron and one over Alaska? What do you mean we can't retrieve any of the wreckage? No <laughs> one's gotten anything yet except the one balloon. So finally, Joe Biden speaks. Cut one. We are absolutely going to hold. Oh, I'm sorry. I'm sorry. That's my fault. Cut, that doesn't uh, sound cut, like President cut, Joe Biden. Yeah, cut 19. Cut 19. We don't yet know exactly what mind. these three objects were. But nothing, nothing right now suggests they were related to China's spy balloon program or that they were surveillance vehicles from other, any other country. The intelligence community's current assessment is that these three objects were most likely balloons tied to private companies, recreation or research institutions studying weather or conducting other scientific research. Right. You know what this is? And I almost said it. Uh, I said this sounds like the bottle cap balloon brigade. And I didn't say it, so I have to have trust me on this. The bottle cap balloon brigade put a silver-coated party-style Pico balloon in the sky, and they were tracking it because they like to party. Oh, boy. And it got caught. <laughs> Good surveillance. And it got shut out of the sky. He, they're, they're out $12. So they tried to call <laughs> the government and say, hey, I think you shot my balloon. They couldn't get anybody to answer. Aww. And then finally the FBI contacted the bottle cap balloon brigade and said uh, – you got something to say to me? Do they, is this working in conjunction with the Apple Dumpling Gang? <laughs> yes. Remember them? <laughs> I don't know. Well, you know, I shouldn't jo- – I'm, I'm a journalist. I should not say yes. We, we just know that the bot- – they, they could be a – this could be a low, just a wildcat group, a yeah, rogue but, group. But don't you think that our radar and our advanced technology within the Pentagon know, should know the difference between a giant payload Chinese surveillance spy balloon and a hobbyist balloon? And, and we spent $400,000 a missile. Going after these things. And we missed one. So that was $800,000 on that that one. But I think this is partially why the president didn't want to come out and speak or didn't seem anxious to do it. Because when you have to come out and say, we weren't able to even assess what exactly these were. I mean, of course, we've got to attract threats. But, you know, how do we differentiate? Was it an overcorrection? Because they took so much heat over letting that Chinese balloon fly across the whole United States of America. But we should be able to tell the difference, right? And, And I think you should pay back the bottle cap gang. I, yes, take that. So so this cost us $800,012 to take that one down, if that's the one that got the two. I said this this morning, and tell me if you think this is right. Should I fear, because I have a ship in a bottle, should I feel the Navy's going to go after Uh-oh. it? Oh, you better keep that baby under wraps. Back in a moment. Expanding your knowledge base, it's the Brian Kilmeade Show. If you're interested in it, Brian's talking about it. You're with Brian Kilmeade. I'd I'd like to know what evidence they have that his age is an issue. That is Mika Brzezinski going on and on. Why do people bring up age with the president? Look how great he was as the State of the Union. Look how many pieces of legislation that he passed. Your reaction to her really believing that the president has not shown his age over the last two years? Well, I'm apparently past my prime. So I don't know if I can speak to age issues. Um, uh, <laughs> I was going to do the villages and then check into full nursing care. But I guess at 50, oh, how old am I now? 52. Right. I'm going straight to nursing care. Um, it's interesting to me because even people who love this president in all of our polling, Fox News, ABC, Washington Post, all of it, they are worried, including his own party, the majority of them, about his ability Only to continue the job. 36% want him to run again. And they cite his frailty. They think that he's losing a step, um, literally and figuratively. So I 
Mika can talk to those people. That's that's just the majority of people being polled. All right. So what do you think about what Don Lemon said yesterday? Because he was resentful that Nikki Haley is calling for a competency test for any candidate <laughs> over 75. <laughs> Let's listen. I think that I think it's the wrong road to go down. She says people, you know, politicians or something are not in their prime. Nikki Haley isn't in her prime. Sorry. When a woman is considered to be in her prime in her 20s and 30s and maybe 40s. What do you talk about? That's not according to me. <laughs> prime for what? Uh, it depends. I mean, it's just like prime. If you look it up, it'll. If you look, if you Google when is a woman in her prime, it'll say twenties, thirties, and forties. I don't necessarily. Forties. Oh, I got it. I'm not decade. saying I agree with that. So I think she has to be careful. I I literally am just flabbergasted by this because just Google it. I, like there's just Google. so much there. I'm like. I don't know. They clearly have not met um, some of the plus 50-year-olds that I know, including like people like Margaret Thatcher and other people who have accomplished a whole heck of a lot in their 50s. So, I mean, just speaking for myself, I'm not ready to like grab my walker and turn it in just yet. But, you know, apparently Don Lemon thinks that I'm done. Don Lemon went on to say, uh, to apologize, the reference I made to a woman's prime this morning was inartful. <laughs> inartful? <laughs> no. I mean, As you own it. Own it. You said it and it was ridiculous. So just own it. Rihanna lip synced during the halftime. Did she? Or we you were, just, we were are standing, you alleging that? Or do you know? We were standing I, next to each other during the performance. And I watched the video. Mm-hmm. It's really bad. I mean, at one point, she turns around, does not even do, like, turns around from the microphone and she's still singing. Howard Stern called her out, and now Rihanna fans are blowing back. But you you don't have a problem with that. I don't. I mean, Why? to me, well, it wasn't like we paid to go to a concert, and I think there is a difference there. This was entertainment, pure and simple. If you think that your top recording artists are not out there using backing vocals and that kind of stuff when they perform, you're crazy. I mean, it was more about the performance, the spectacle of the whole thing, I think, than vocal quality for me at the halftime of the Super Bowl show. Like, but you should it was try. Fun. I'd rather be all But she probably was. I, I think that a lot of times they are singing, but they have backing vocals, so it sounds good. Look at them making excuses for Rihanna. I don't you know. Her, I mean, as a performer. Or Fox News Sunday. Who's on? As a performer myself. Um, Admiral Kirby, uh, General Keene, Nikki Haley. We'll see you Sunday. See ya. Bye. Radio that makes you think. This is the Brian Kilmeade Show. They are biologically incapable of stopping themselves from incessant use of these platforms. That vulnerability is being exploited by these platforms. I would say that uh, social media has lowered the cost of being an a-hole. People say things on social media that they would never say in an interpersonal um, um, exchange. So that is uh, obviously Senator Kennedy of... Louisiana, uh, in a big hearing yesterday, and you watched it, uh, Dr. Doctor, right? Yeah. Yeah, Dr. Tom Kirsting. Uh, you have a brand new book out. Uh, it's a follow up to Disconnected. It's called Raising Healthy Teens, but you must have been fascinated to see this hearing. Did you, did you get anything out of it? Did you, did you sense that we're making progress? You mentioned Senator Josh Hawley, dead set. He's got a young family, dead set on inter- uh, interdicting uh, social media and kids. Yeah, 100%. So we have right now, there's 1,200 families in the United States that are suing social media platforms, Meta, Snapchat, uh, Instagram, and so forth. And um, yeah, and the reason is because it, it has created a, a, an unbelievable mental health epidemic. And if you look at the, the data, you know, the mental health epidemic among kids really started, it started in 2012. 
when we see the escalation of anxiety disorders, depression, the suicide. Why rate 2012? So that's, when, that's when smartphones became mainstream. So prior to that, it was pretty level, right? Black, and, remember BlackBerry? You used to prior to BlackBerry, right? I mean, yeah, oh BlackBerry yeah. it really wasn't big social media, correct? Is that? Yeah, no, no, not really. Yeah. I mean, you know, was, once we got these the smartphones, iPhone. you know, now you have everything rolled up in your pocket, your videos, you know, your camera, you can watch movies. And then, you know, social media, what they're doing, you know, they specifically target with their algorithms kids, you know, and like about a year ago. Meta um, got you know called out on it. They did their own internal study. They own Instagram. They did their own internal research to see if it was affecting girls. And they found that it was actually leading girls to developing eating disorders. And then they tried not to reveal the information. I think a whistleblower came out and showed that you know because of the algorithms, a young vulnerable teenage girl looks. It's you know, not a coincidence. No, not a coincidence. No. Because no. the longer you stay on, the more money they make. The more money they make off ads. Correct. Uh, the more they can suck you in. Yeah. And this new book, Raising Healthy Teenagers. I go, I explore everything that, that kids are confronted with nowadays, even childhood obesity, right? So childhood obesity, right now, 30, I think it's 30% of kids are overweight. It's related to this, right? It is, because the fast food, ended, number one, when, you know, when kids are spending most of their time sedentary, just sitting in front of, the, of a screen, and they're not, at, not you know, running around. So play is down 70% in recent years, right? So you couple that with fast food marketing, which spends $5 billion a year, much of which is targeted towards kids through social media, and you have the perfect storm for childhood obesity. Right. So when you say raising healthy teens, the first thing, if I told you to write this book in 2005, it would be much different than the one you just published on Tuesday in 2023. So we're saying anxiety disorders have kicked in. What are the platforms teenagers are on, and what's so bad about it? It's supposed to connect people from all different walks of life, show some depth of character. What have you found that's so detrimental? Well, so the you know the problem, and I, when I'm lecturing Brian, I'll tell you know lecturing to parents, for example, I'll say, you know, it's not that tech is a bad thing. Tech is a good thing. We have a lot of good things we can do with it. A glass of wine with dinner is okay. Nine glasses of wine with dinner seven nights a week is a bad thing, and that's where we're at. Kids are spending about nine hours a day in front of a screen. And, it's, and their brains are very impressionable. A lot of this stuff is subliminal, and they don't even realize it. And then big tech, they use those algorithms to target exactly what your interests are. So here's the other thing. You just talk about there's always the pressures of any high school. I mean, people listening right now who are 70 years old can remember high school. You know, to 50 years old, they can remember high They know the pressures. I was popular. I was unpopular. I was bullied. I was smart. I was done. They always remember these moments. So how does social media amplify all that so when you take a pre-adolescent or adolescent child all right i always say that the, if we could give a, a definition of the word adolescence the, the the term i would choose is insecurity that's part of that developmental stage right it's sort of like a purgatory you're leaving childhood you're in this limbo heading towards adulthood so with that comes a lot of insecurity where do i fit in i look weird i'm changing hormonally now you layer in this look at me compare myself to everybody else right let me see how many streaks followers and likes i can get and that now adds another layer to this insecurity. And for many kids, it just takes it to a, a completely different stratosphere and damages their development, affects them mentally, of course, physically, emotionally, and disrupts the family system. Did you see this when you were a counselor in school? Oh, yeah. Yeah. I mean, I, I'm Is this what launched this whole idea? I'm going to give you an example. All right. So, when I, so I retired three years ago. Now I'm just doing private therapy. But um, back in 2000. Around 2012, right? So prior to that, I started in 1995, I believe, right? I would maybe get one call from the nurse's office in a 1,000-student high school that I worked at. You know, I'd get a call once a month about a kid having a meltdown. After 2012, I started getting multiple calls per week, you know, from, the, from kids having emotional uh, unraveling events or, or panic attacks. At my private practice at around that same time, 
I don't think prior to 2012 I really had any middle school kids coming in. And then after 2012, I got ridiculous amounts of calls from middle school kids. And when you peel back the onion, besides saying put down the phone, what do they say specifically about the social media platforms are so potentially detrimental? Well, it's again, so the, the power of these things, right? Of seeing other people having a good time and you're not invited to the party. Yeah, so I get know, it. let's the, say a kid gets their first phone, right? The first thing they're going to do is now they're going to be friends with everybody in their grade, right? And the, the next thing they're going to do is they're going to scour through all of their material, what I call their highlight reels, how they did at the soccer game, you know, the A they got on this test, and they begin to compare themselves. And the eventual mindset that sets in when you're doing this hours and hours a day is everybody else's life is so perfect. My life really stinks. And then they want in on the action. They start posting their own stuff, and they're getting this outside-in feedback, you know, in the form of likes and streaks. And I always tell when I'm speaking to kids. What do you I, mean by streaks, by the way? Uh, like snap, Snapchat streaks. Okay. It's like uh, it's a thing that they, they should use, know that. like, like yeah. a digital. It's like a like a digital slot machine, and they're getting all of this. And, and one thing I want parents to, that are listening and grandparents as well is that you know when you hear the word self-esteem, the important word there is self. No amount of anything from the outside in can fill your inside. Everything is inside out. Your joy, your happiness, and so forth. So we have these kids have the interaction, me and you. You might bully. You might somebody in a bullying situation. You might not be with the in-crowd situation. That's always there. You want to get back to that. But can you possibly put the genie back in the bottle? You can't pretend that this technology doesn't exist. We go back to chalk. Yeah, well, that's, that's, the, that's why I'm out here, right? That's why I'm lecturing. That's why I'm writing books and so forth, to really try to, number one, equip parents, okay, with the information that they need to know. And By getting access, number one, you know, understanding. And they don't want to give you happening. access. Yeah, and I'll, I'll you know, I'll, if I'm doing a lecture, Brian, I'll, I'll, I'll say to the audience, I'll say, raise your hand if you think it's smart for an 11 year old to have a smartphone. Never once has anybody ever raised their hand. Yet the average age kids are getting smartphones is 10 years old. Did you follow up with how many do? Yeah, well, I just you're embarrassed, embarrassing. Yeah, I don't yeah. want to put people on the spot, but you know, all, the, all those parents in there, it's called social conformity, and I talk a lot about that. Where human beings, we tend to just go with the flow. So here is uh, Emma Lemke. Uh, she was testifying yesterday at the Senate Judiciary Committee. Cut. 38. My depression was oh, incredibly yeah. acute and my issues with disordered eating were rampant. One day I heard the buzz of a notification and I had the Pullovian response to instantly grab for it. And suddenly in that moment, I asked why. Why was I allowing these companies to have so much control over me? So it's the Protecting Our Children online hearing. Jo- uh, John Pizzoro was also at the hearing. He also talked about this, uh, how to seduce children, how they do it. Cut, cut 39. The most staggering increase we faced was self-generated sexual abuse videos of children ages 7, 8, and 9. There's a post even named The Art of Seduction that explained how to seduce children that has been read more than 54,000 times. There's some of the evil things that hop on there, but that's not teens necessarily using them. But you said it does lead to overeating. Yeah, I mean, you know, sure. I mean, you know, the way the mind works, right? It's particularly when you're in when you're in a screen, you're actually in a in a hypnotic like trance. So any information you're consuming is bypassing your critical mind right. and going directly to your subconscious. So it is very subliminal in nature. So you know, when you when you have these kids and you have fast food advertisements, you have things about uh, eating disorders, and they're seeing all these images. Even about a year ago, there were all these girls that developed motor tics from watching people with Tourette syndrome. Right. So that's like a somatic thing. They didn't even have Tourette syndrome just from seeing it. Their brain now sort of adapted, adopted that same behavior. So what are you suggesting? 
What do you suggest when it comes to social media, the texting, the, the constant contact? So number one tip for parents is we have to practice what we preach. So I always say that like a typical family of four doesn't really isn't definitive of the word family anymore. It's more like individuals under the same roof doing their own thing. So we got to collect our kids. We got to gather because of social media. Yeah, I mean, that's how you define it. Yeah, or whatever it is, whether they're you know they're on their iPad or their phone or watching Netflix. You know, we got to really get back to the dinner table. We got to get families together. Parents, a statistic in my former book, uh, the average parent only spends three and a half minutes per week in meaningful conversation with their children. So we got to, like, don't let our kids have those phones when we're driving them to school. The dialogue, the communication, and the relationship that kids have with their parents is by far the most important thing for their mental health outcomes. Saying your parents are good. (laughs) Yeah, you hope the parents are good. Uh, I'm going to be back uh, one more segment with uh, Dr. Tom Kirsting. His uh, book, Disconnected, is out. It was a big hit. And now his other one comes out Tuesday. But you just told me you broke the I didn't, you broke the mold. You said it's available? Yeah. You, yeah, okay. I can get it right now. Yeah. All right. Uh, raising Healthy Teenagers, Equipping Your Child to Navigate the Pitfalls and Dangers of Teen Life. Back in a moment. Learning something new every day on The Brian Kilmeade Show. Breaking news, unique opinions. Hear it all on the Brian Kilmeade Show. All right, well, welcome back, everybody. Uh, by the way, don't forget One Nation. It's going to be on Saturday night at 8 o'clock on Fox News Channel. Great show. Uh, Tom Kirsting, we've met with his people. He will agree to appear to help your teens. Is that true? I am definitely coming. You've talked to your people? I've talked to my people. All right, good. So his, his book is now out, Raising Healthy Teenagers, whether you're a grandparent, whether you're a parent, whether you're an actual teenager, you're going to need to see this book. It relates directly to the most important issue today, and that is social media and that phone in your hand that's in your pocket that's in, that's in your car, hopefully away. You're looking straight ahead. It's away from you, so you're not tempted to text. We're also going to have Shannon Bream on, uh, who is also on this show, and we're going to have uh, Ari Fleischer. And we're also, Tommy, you might want to stick around. Is she in person? We, we're not. Oh, okay. We have a Russian seductress on who, um, who was the original – her job, she was chained in the military, was seduce important people in, for intelligence and somehow let them uh, get the important information from her. And she believes every man can be seduced and that the problem – right now her new mission is building up the esteem of women. He says women don't have a high enough opinion of themselves when it comes to American women. They don't have a high opinion of themselves when it comes to men. That's kind of a general I'm going to statement. try to meet this person when I come out. Because <laughs> you would love Pick to know the method as a psychologist, right? Yeah, psychotherapist. Yeah. Psychotherapist. Yeah. I mean, that's what she says. Um, is there a problem? She, well, she also she also has the other. Should I bring? I shouldn't bring that up. That I, I should. I, I shouldn't. Okay. Um, so when you talk about raising teens, how we solve this problem that's in your book that they're testifying now that Josh Hawley's pushing forward. Wait till you're 16 to go on a site to get an Instagram account uh, to get a. TikTok account, Facebook. Yeah. Yep. Yeah. I mean, I've been. Preaching. Is that possible, though? Well, you know, if you if you implement, you know, they're gonna, you know, they're gonna make it difficult for kids. You can have to show, I guess, like you know, facial recognition and so forth. Um, but you know, really, you know, the, the you know, which the thing, is out there, obviously. Yeah, yeah. You know, but it's really, you know, and any parent listening, I mean, essentially, whatever our kids are doing or not doing is really has to do with us as parents. So we really. You know, we really, really got to, like, you know, dig our heels in here. So do you think in the school system that we could start schooling parents? Like the kid goes to school in kindergarten, in first grade. You start when it's parent-teacher's day. 
Let me just go over some of the rules that we are demanding when it comes to social media. I got, I got one better for you. All right. In my previous book, I, I created something. It's called uh, a phone-free school zone pledge. And here's how that works, right? So, you know, when your kids are in kindergarten, first grade, to get that packet over the summer. So imagine in that packet is a pledge that says, I agree not to purchase a smartphone for my child until late adolescence. You get that, a parent, they're going to talk to their friends and say, hey, did you get that form? I got it. And if everybody, you know, collectively gets together and agrees to sign that, and all the school has to do is just send out reminders. Hey, we're a you know, phone-free school. Is zone. anybody at that point? Yeah, I had a couple uh, lectures, I think maybe in Oregon that I, I was at and maybe Colorado, where uh, some of the school administrators are, are, are working with, like, you know, the class mom to, to implement that starting at a young age. And the other thing you see is the uh, hunch. If, if you're on the phone all day, you're actually hunched over with your shoulders rounded, which is physically not good for you. Mm-hmm. The other one I would bring out is kind of diving down. Does that... Uh, diving in a little bit. There's a new trend in this country. I could not wait to get my license. Everyone, when you turn 16, get your permit. You couldn't wait to do it. Well, how will you take a driver's ed? How are you going to fit it in around sports? Can you take it in the summer? Oh, I, I signed up for it. I wasn't able to get This was the talk. Now, I noticed it a little. Um, my kids all wanted to drive. But this generation, indifferent about driving. How, how could that be? Well, you know what? I, I am be- And does being- it relate to a bigger story? I'm being dead serious here. Be- probably the highlight the most exciting day of my life. Don't tell my wife this, you know, because my marriage is important. Uh, the most exciting day was the day I got my license, and I could not wait. My mom, I had my mom stick to freedom. Five, oh, it's it was freedom. fantastic. Now, I think what's happening now, so a lot of kids, here's what I think, okay? So most kids do get excited about their license, but I do see kids at my office that have no interest in get, getting their driver's license. And I think those are the kids that don't really have much interaction outside of their home with their headset playing video games. Right. So there's a lot of kids now in our society that really don't have social interactions outside. They believe all their friendships are, you know, through playing video games and, and, and so forth. So they become so accustomed to just being at home that they feel like they don't need a car. And they live in their lives are instant gratification. You hit a button, DoorDash, drop something off. You hit another button, Amazon delivers something. So when you're instantly gratified constantly for some kids in that in that report, uh, they said it was too difficult or to provoke too much anxiety to go do what it takes to get a license. You're the psychotherapist, but I'll, I'll bring it further. If you're getting your interaction on your phone or on your laptop, you don't even need to go out to meet people, right? And then Zoom, I don't know, Zoom is totally unsatisfying to me. But maybe if you're able to Zoom and FaceTime with your friends and you're getting your text message, you're online, and then you get your food delivered, Amazon packages, there isn't that thirst. But still, you can't drive to the beach. You can't. Go uh, go over your friend's house. Ah, oh, man, it's just liberation and freedom. I mean, I was doing a lecture last week locally in New Jersey, and a parent afterwards asked me, or actually during the Q and A, asked me. She said, it, it, "Does my son, you know, all of his interaction is through video games? Does that count as you know social communication interaction?" And I kind of just politely said, "No, it does not. You got to get your kid out face to face. That's how we develop emotional intelligence. It's how we develop communication, social skills. Right, uh, and how to handle conflict. I, how to handle challenges, different no personalities. Uh, how to read people." So when you have this uh, ability to go online and then you put that b- ability to go online away, you're asking people to do what they did with vaping, with s- smoking, with drunk driving. There was just a constant push. You don't drink and drive. If I go up to a 16-year-old now, a yeah. 25-year-old now, a 30-year-old now, I'm sure 95% have never drank and drove. Yep. And they always do that. And if you told me that in high school when I graduated in 82, 
that you're going to be able to drill that into kids? I go, yeah, good luck with that. Yeah, and it, it worked. worked. That's a really good point. Does that give you hope? It does. You know, I'm glad you brought that up because you're 100% right. Every kid I talk to, they would never drink and drive. And how drink. many kids do you – do you work in a high school? Or no, no, you... I have a pri- – I did. I have a but, private practice. in high school? Yeah, uh, no, in my own. I have my own private No, but practice. when you worked in school, was it high school? Yeah, it was a high school, public high so, school. So you working in a high school, did you notice that, that that worked? And did, can that campaign be mimicked? When it comes to social media and the iPhone? I love what you're talking about. So to answer that question, 100%. I talked to so many kids about that, that got, you know, drinking on a weekend and so forth. And all of them would, would, would not allow, not, not only would they not do it, they would not allow a friend of theirs to do that, right? So that message, so yes, you know, if we can pull that off, right, um, why can't we pull this off? Why can't we pull off the fact that this, these modern-day weapons of mass destruction, these right. phones, are destroying us, and let's do something about it. And, Tom, it. not only does Tom Kirsten believe that, so do the makers of Facebook and all those. They knew it because for their kids, they have different rules. And China and TikTok, for their kids, they have different rules. It's mostly a history and uh, educational, and you're not allowed to use it after 11. TikTok. Here, they're dance videos, and they are alluring, for, even for adults. Yeah, so a survey was done. So in China, they get different content on TikTok. And the number one career choice for kids in China was astronaut. And in the United States, it was social media influencer. (laughs) Scary. We're doomed. Uh, But no, read this book and it all changed. Raising Healthy Teenagers, Equipping Your Child to Navigate the Pitfalls and Dangers of Teen Life. Thomas Kirsting, thanks so much. My pleasure. Book signing March 4th, Books and Greetings in North Vale, New Jersey. I'm Guy Benson. Join me weekdays at 3 p.m. Eastern as we break down the biggest stories of the day with some of the biggest newsmakers and guests. Listen live on the Fox News app or get the free podcast at GuyBensonShow.com. Listen to the show ad-free on Fox News Podcast Plus, on Apple Podcasts, Amazon Music with your Prime membership, or subscribe wherever you get your podcasts.